All right, well, good morning, everyone. If you are new, my name is Jamie. I get to be one of the pastors here. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, find one. There should be one around you in the chair under you. If you do have a Bible, please point it to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 15. I would like to uh, welcome you to Missions Sunday and the beginning of Missions Week, which is uh, one week we take out of the year every year. And hope to do this for as long as we get to be a church. And we take one week and we focus on God and His purpose for the nations. So we look at missions and uh, we look at our role in missions. And so if you are on our email list, please uh, make sure that you keep an eye on your inbox because every day this week, Monday through Saturday, you're going to be receiving an email with uh, some information on it pertaining to Missions Week. So please be looking for that. If you don't know, if you're email addresses on our list, just simply go to the website and you can click on Keep Me in the Loop and uh, you, you will be added to that list. So Romans chapter 15, if um, you're using one of the Pew Bibles, um, you will find that on page 949 um, and that'll go on to 950. If you're not uh, familiar with how the Bible works, the Bible um, has chapters, and those are the big numbers that you see. The little numbers are the verse numbers, and we'll be starting reading Romans 15 at verse 18, or verse 8, rather, and be reading all the way to the end of the chapter. So Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 8, we'll read it, and then we'll uh, get to work in this passage. It should be 45 minutes or so. Romans chapter 15, verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. And sing to your name. And again it is written. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who rises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, 
not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, I, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. It is above us. And we appeal to you to write its truth on our hearts. Father, we recognize again, we already have in this service, we are a needy people. And I would like to add that we are a forgetful people. And it is so easy for us, myself most certainly included, to forget the purposes of God that He has willed for us to serve, to align ourselves to. So often have we found our meaning for our life in something else. And so I pray that this word would come to us with with encouragement, with a necessary conviction, in order that as we leave this place, as we move into the next thing that we're about to do today, that our hearts would burn for God's glory and missions so that Christ will be named in every region of His world. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, 198 Christian pastors across the People's Republic of China, signed a statement affirming their intentions to stand with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to respect and obey governmental authorities. But when those two things are contended, to stand with the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever the expense This statement came into response to some recent and varying degrees of persecution of the Christian church in China. 
violence towards churches, crosses demolished, churches being forced to join religious organizations which are controlled by the Chinese government, churches being forced to hang the national flag in their sanctuaries, churches being forced to sing songs which praise the state, children being banned from receiving Christian education. And so they signed a statement. I have that statement here, and I would like to read some portions of that statement to you. At the beginning, they write this. 198 Christian pastors from the People's Republic of China wrote, We believe and are obligated to teach the world, the world that the one true and living triune God is the creator of the universe, of the world, and of all people. All men should worship God and not any man or thing. We believe and are obligated to teach the world that all men, from national leaders to beggars and prisoners, have sinned. They will die once and then be judged in righteousness. Apart from the grace and redemption of God, all men would eternally perish. And we believe and are obligated to teach the world that the crucified and risen Jesus is the only head of the global church, the sole savior of all mankind, and the everlasting ruler and supreme judge of the universe. To all who repent and believe in him, God will give eternal life and an eternal kingdom. That's their opening paragraph. They go on and they say, We are obligated to announce bad news to the authorities and to all society. God hates all attempts to suppress human souls and all acts of persecution against the Christian church, and He will condemn and judge them with righteous judgment. But we are more obligated to proclaim good news to the authorities and to all society. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the Savior and King of all mankind, in order to save us sinners, was killed, was buried, and rose from the dead by the power of God, destroying the power of sin and death. In His love and compassion, God has prepared forgiveness and salvation for all who are willing to believe in Jesus, including Chinese people. At any time, anyone can repent of any sin, turn to Christ, fear God, obtain eternal life, and bring great blessing from God upon His family and country. And they lay out four points to their statement. I'm going to read portions of each. Number one. Christian churches in China believe unconditionally that the Bible is the word and revelation of God. It is the source and final authority of all righteousness, ethics, and salvation. Furthermore, the commands of any man directly violating the teachings of the Bible, harming men's souls, and opposing the gospel proclaimed by the church, we are obligated to obey God rather than man. Two. Christian churches in China are eager and determined to walk the path of the cross of Christ. We are willing and obligated under any circumstance to face all government persecution, misunderstanding, and violence with peace, patience, and compassion. Three, Christian churches in China are willing to obey authorities in China whom God has appointed and to respect the government's authority to govern society and human conduct. We are obligated to respect the authorities, to pray fervently for their benefit, to pray earnestly for Chinese society. But for the sake of the gospel, we are willing to suffer all external losses brought about by unfair law enforcement, 
Out of a love for our fellow citizens, we are willing to give up all of our earthly rights. Finally, number four. For this reason, we believe and are obligated to teach all believers that all true churches in China that belong to Christ and must hold to the principles of the separation of church and state and must proclaim Christ as the sole head of the church. For the sake of the gospel, we are prepared to bear all losses, even the losses of our freedom and our lives. My question is, why? Why would Christians in China be willing to risk so much and potentially suffer so much? Well, I understand, and you may have heard it in the statement, but Christians in China seem to understand that every follower of Jesus is not a director of his or her life. But as a follower of Jesus, we are bought by the blood of Jesus and obligated to serve His purposes in all that we are and all that we have for His glory. Every Christian is called to be involved in helping others who are far from Jesus turn to Him in repentance, follow Him in obedience. And so what I would like to show you this morning on Missions Sunday is that this statement that I've read to you is not Chinese theology of missions. That's just good Bible. The Bible teaches that the fuel for global missions is the glory of God in Christ. So listen as we consider more closely Romans chapter 15, and we'll see three things. First, we'll see God's God's global mission explained in verses 8 to 13. Then we'll see Paul's part in God's global mission in verses 14 to 21. And then lastly, we'll see everyone's part in God's global mission in verse 22 to 30. So if you received a worship guide when you came in this morning, on the back side you can see that laid out for you and you're welcome to take notes as we go along. Otherwise, you can listen to it and um, re-listen to it again later if you like. Let's take a look at verse 8 to 13 and we'll see from the Apostle Paul the mission of God. Let's read it again. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And then Paul goes on and gives four quotes from the Old Testament. As it is written, Therefore I, a Jew, will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And then again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And then Paul prays, may the God of hope fill you, Romans, with all the joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The book of Romans was written by the apostle Paul, who was a Jew. It was written in the first century to a church in the city of Rome, about 25 years after Jesus had been buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven. In the years following the Lord's resurrection, the church received the Holy Spirit and carried the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ to just about every region they could reach. Paul, specifically, was responsible for carrying the good news of the gospel 
to many parts of Asia Minor. He was instrumental in starting a number of churches there. Cities and towns all over the first century world had churches just popping up in them as Paul would go through and other apostles would go through. However, Paul did not start the church in Rome. Actually, he had never been to Rome. Around, uh, shortly after the Holy Spirit fell on the first church in Acts chapter 2, shortly after that time, there was a there were some Jewish Christians that went to Rome, that went home probably, started a church there, a Christian church. And around 41 AD, the Re- Roman Emperor Claudius banished all the Jews from Rome, leaving that church with only Gentiles inside it, non-Jews. So Paul is writing to a Christian church that was started by Jews, and it's now mostly comprised of non-Jews, although the Jews were eventually let, let back in. So Paul writes, to explain that this has always been God's plan, to use his people to reach out to those who are far from him. So we see this in verse 18, Paul is explaining what God has done through Jesus, he says that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given the patriarchs, so that would be obviously Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in order, that, in, order that, in order that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, might glorify God for his mercy. So here's what Paul's saying. Jesus, the Messiah of God who's been promised, came to confirm the promises that God had given to his people, the Jews, so that those who were not Jews would see God's faithfulness to his people and glorify God for his mercy in gathering them all into one people called the church. God chose the descendants of Abraham to be his special people, to do his special work. And they were to be different from all the peoples of the world. They were to be ambassadors for God and tell tell the world of God's greatness and his love and his mercy towards those who turn to him in faith. In so doing, God would bring his kingdom to the earth where he would reign forever. Well, sadly, if you know the Old Testament history, God's people failed to do that in many ways. They failed to worship God in the way that God deserves to be worshipped, in the way that God commanded to be worshipped. Instead, they turned in on themselves. They began focusing on their own needs, their own uniqueness. They did not fulfill the mission of God. So God sent his son Jesus to do what his own people had not done, to prove the truthfulness of God, to confirm God's eternal promises to his people. And so Jesus comes to tell of God's truthfulness, God's greatness, God's mercy, and God's love. Jesus came and Jesus brought the kingdom of God to the earth. We see this in those four Old Testament passages that Paul quotes in verses 9 to 12. Psalm 18, verse 49, Therefore I, a Jew, will praise you, God, among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. God's people, Jewish people, lifting up God's praise among the Gentiles. Then he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32, where the song of Moses, the command comes out, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with God's people. The Gentiles are commanded to rejoice together with the Jews, God has gathered together. 
And then Psalm 117, verse 1, he's commanding all people everywhere to praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And finally, the promise is given through the prophet Isaiah that there will be a Jewish descendant of a man named Jesse who was the father of King David. And that man, the root of David, a root of of Jesse, would rise up and do what even David couldn't do, which is to rule the Gentiles and give them hope. So the answer to the question is, well, what hope does a a non-Jewish person have to be made right with God? They never received God's promises. They didn't receive God's word. They don't know the law. They don't know the prophets. They don't know the process God has put in place for them to be made right with Him. They don't know any of that. What is their hope? And their hope is Jesus Christ. What is the hope of your neighbor? Jesus Christ. What is the hope of the Turkish construction worker in Istanbul to be made right with God? Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not sure about this Christian faith, still kind of on the, really not sure whether you're going to go all the way in or or not, I'm glad you came to church today. I think you picked the perfect day to come to church. You need to ask yourself, what hope do you have to be right with God? What hope do you have for eternal life? How would you have your sins forgiven? Do you know whether or not you'll be good enough to get into heaven? And what does that even mean, good enough? Good enough according to who? Well, like any good judge, God doesn't grade on a curve. And I can tell you what your hope should be. The same as the construction worker in Istanbul, your neighbor, and those in China. Jesus Christ. Not only did God send Jesus Christ to take away your sins, but also He came to give you His righteousness. To make you good enough to get into heaven. So Paul is laying out the plan of God from the beginning, that God would select a special people and through which that, that He would send His Son to fulfill all of His promises. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, He would bring hope to those who did not have it. And so, because... So, so God gave that promise to His people, Israel. They failed in that. So God sent His Son to gather all the nations together into one people and to continue to do what He planned to do from the beginning, which is to send them out to proclaim the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, as God's people, gathered into Christ, go to China, go to Turkey, Go to Congo, praying and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ, and all who are appointed to salvation will come. It may happen through us, it may happen through someone else, 
It may happen after our life is over. But the success of global missions is not tied to an evangelistic program. It's not tied to a a persuasive missionary, but to the providence of God. Jesus has ransomed a people by His blood. And we have a promise that not one ounce of His blood will be wasted. And this is why the Apostle Paul, in confidence, can spend his entire life going throughout Asia Minor, proclaiming the gospel to those who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Even when he's persecuted, even to his own harm at his own expense. We see this confidence in the Apostle Paul in the next passage, verses 14 to 21. Paul, writing of himself, I'm satisfied about you, brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. But word indeed, by the powers of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul understands himself to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. Since the Gentiles, as I mentioned earlier, did not receive the law of God, they did not receive the prophets, Paul makes his his ambition to go to them, to bring the truth of God's word to them, to plant churches, to visit churches, to encourage churches, to write letters to churches, to help those who did not grow up learning about God, learn about Him and follow Him. But I want you to notice in verse 18 something very interesting. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. His method then is by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So he taught them the word. He showed them the deed, how to follow Jesus. He accompanied, all that was accompanied by signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit of God. But what he writes next is very interesting. He says, so that from Jerusalem, the center where Jesus died, where the Spirit was poured out from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Fulfilled. Doesn't make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, but he goes on down in verse 13 to say, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. It sounds like Paul is saying, my ministry is done. I've went throughout all these places. I've proclaimed the gospel. Now it's done. That sounds like what Paul is saying, isn't it? That is what he's saying. 
his ministry is done. Now, does he mean that everyone in those regions has become a Christian? Not at all. He means that in all of those regions, some have come to faith. Churches have been planted. Pastors have been trained and appointed. And the local church will carry on the mission of the gospel in those regions. That's a massive point I don't want you to miss. Paul traveled throughout those places preaching the gospel. People came to faith. Those people were gathered into churches. Pastors were appointed to those churches. And Paul expects that those churches would carry on the gospel mission in those regions. And so he'll say, because churches exist in those regions, his work in those regions is done. The church carries on the mission. And he moves on to where Christ has not been named, to Spain. Paul understands his purpose to be this. Plant healthy churches among the unreached. So he will go where Christ has not been named. People have never even heard the name of Jesus. He'll proclaim the name of Jesus there. God will gather his people to Jesus. He will train up pastors. He will start healthy churches. And then he'll move on and go to more unreached peoples. Now, when we talk of God's people going to the unreached, Sometimes you encounter an objection which usually goes something like, why would we spend all this time, all this money, all this effort to go to unreached peoples? Because it's hard. The reason they're unreached is because they're hard to reach. And so the objection is, why would we do that? Why would we spend so much money, so much time, so much effort to go to the unreached? Have you ever been to my factory? There's plenty of unreached people there. Have you ever been to my office? Are you kidding me? There's tons of unreached people in my office. It's a good objection. To which Pastor David Platt helpfully replies, there are no unreached people in your factory. There are no unreached people in your office because you're there. Because you're there. They're reached. Here's where that hits us very hard. Paul considers his ministry done in all the regions. He mentions because people have come to faith in those regions. They've become healthy members in healthy churches in those regions. And Paul assumes healthy Christians in healthy churches will be involved in reaching out to unbelievers in their region. Paul assumes that healthy Christians are those who are moving toward Jesus. And while they're moving toward Jesus, they're also looking to those who are far off from Him. To bring them to faith in Him. To help them in their obedience to Him. Paul assumes, as we should, That a healthy church is one that is engaged 
in reaching the lost in whatever region God has planted her. For us, that means we proclaim the excellencies of Christ in Piqua, Miami County, until Christ is all. There are 20,000 people in this town, 100,000 people in Miami County. This is our region. It is the expectation of the Apostle Paul that we would reach them, that we would be involved in calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus and discipling young Christians to do the same. So dare I ask you, those I love to serve, in what ways right now in your life are you involved in reaching out to lost people in your life? In what ways are you engaged in helping someone follow Jesus? Paul assumes something else of healthy Christians in healthy churches. He assumes that they will support global missions. We see this in verse 22. To the end of the chapter. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I'm no longer have any room for work in these regions, as astonishing as that is to me, and since I have longed many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. What does he mean by helped? Well, let's keep reading. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. What does he mean by aid? For Macedonia and of Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor. What does he mean, contribution? Verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, By collected, I think you're beginning to understand what he means. He means your money. I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness and the blessing of Christ. And this is appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So here's what Paul means. Paul expects healthy Christians in healthy churches to evangelize lost people in their region, while at the same time supporting those who go from their region to another region where Christ has not been named. He expects that healthy churches will partner with those who cross ethno-linguistic barriers with the gospel. Healthy churches are those who send healthy missionaries to plant healthy churches, who send healthy missionaries to plant healthy churches to provide material blessings, i.e. money, carrying on the mission of planting churches among the nations. Thus, a healthy member of a healthy church is one who understands that he is connected spiritually 
and financially to the global mission of God. And he is to pray for and to make financial sacrifices in order to advance the gospel locally and globally. Now, I've said this before from this pulpit. I'll say it again. Not everyone is a missionary. Not everyone is called to cross ethno-linguistic barriers and carry the gospel to plant churches there. But everyone is involved in missions. It may help be helpful, I think, at this point to state that it doesn't seem that Paul believes every Christian in the church at Rome is called to accompany him in crossing those ethno-linguistic barriers. Not every Christian is expected to sell everything they have to relocate, to learn a different language, to serve planting churches among the unreached. Not every Christian, but some are. Some of us, I pray. Some of us. I don't know who, but I do know that those of us who are healthy will be involved in supporting them as they do. Every follower of Jesus is expected to help those who are far from God turn to repentance and faith in Him and enable them and help them in their obedience to Him. We do this locally by discipling one another, getting plugged into discipleship groups or meeting with a brother in Christ to do a Bible study together, encouraging a sister over the phone and being faithful to God. We do this by engaging our neighbors who are not Christians, getting to know them, being hospitable to them, sharing the gospel with them. We do this globally by making actual, physical, real, painful financial sacrifices to send people to plant churches among the parts of this world that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. So, of course, then, if you're not really involved in helping anyone follow Jesus, if you can't look at your life and say that I'm spending any amount of my time or money towards the purpose of making Jesus all and in all, I'm not prepared to say that you're not a Christian. I'm not prepared to say that you're an unhealthy Christian. I'm just saying that as I read the Bible, this is the picture of a healthy Christian that I see, unless you're seeing something different. I I would ask that you would show me. A healthy Christian is one who spends her life helping others follow Jesus locally and globally. So if you're not doing that, the good news is that today is a day that you could start doing that. And so we'll end our time together, the next five minutes, and I'll give you three ways that you can start helping others follow Jesus locally and globally. Three charges for Missions Week. So here are your charges for Missions Week. Number one, pray for the mission of God. Pray for the mission of God. Look at verse 30 again. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Did you know that prayer always drives mission? I don't want to be overly critical here, but if, if 
minute ago when I was asking if you're involved in some way in helping others follow Jesus, and you were kind of like, eh, I'm not really involved. I think it's pretty safe for me to assume that you're also not praying that much. Prayer always drives mission. Because you know what happens when you pray? God begins to change your heart into His heart. And His heart is for His glory among the nations. As we go to the Lord in prayer, He moves our heart to His glory in missions. And so this week, I'm just asking you set aside some time every single day to pray for the mission of God. We'll help you in that. This week, Monday through Saturday, you'll be receiving an email. And in that email, there'll be a particular missionary that we support, and I'll give you some things that you can pray for for that missionary. In addition to that, I will give you um, one particular unreached people group in the nations that you can be praying for. We'll help you about how to pray for that people. So we're just asking that you would strive together with us in praying for our missionaries, in praying for the advance of the gospel among the unreached. It might be good to take some time and pray together if you have a family to pray with your family. My intention is is that during our time of family worship this week, we'll spend some time praying for these issues. Number two, pray that you might join the mission of God. So number one, pray for the mission of God. And number two, pray that you might join the mission of God. I would encourage you to ask the Lord this week, is He sending you to the unreached? There are plenty of people out there who've never heard the name of Jesus. Is He sending you to them? Sending your family? Maybe the Lord would have you go on a mission trip, short term, two to three weeks. And perhaps the Lord would call you to go to a midterm, maybe three months to a year. Or it could be that God is calling some of us to become full-time missionaries among the unreached. If you're in high school or college, can I encourage you to pray about what to do after graduation? Would, would He have you spend a summer or a semester or a year serving a church among the nations? Generally, in high school and college, you have limited needs. Therefore, you can go on the cheap to the nations. Last Sunday, we heard from Hannah Goodwin, who is leveraging her college education to go to the nations. Maybe God would have you do that. Those of us who work for a company that's international, maybe you can pray this week whether or not God would have you take a position in your company that would send you to an unreached people. Or you could serve a church there and help disciple people to faith. Charge number three. Pray how you might support the mission of God. So pray for the mission of God. Pray how you might join the mission of God among the nations. And then number three, pray how you might support the mission of God. You may want to write down this, Psalm 67, 1 through 2. It's a terribly devastating couple of verses. I'll read them to you. May God be gracious to us and bless us. 
and make His face shine upon us. That's not particularly devastating. What's devastating is comes next. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. So the psalmist is praying, God bless us materially so that we can support global missions. The reason God has blessed our businesses, the reason God has blessed our career, friends, the reason God has blessed this country is to support the mission of God among the nations. If you got a raise at work, it could be that God wants you to have a nicer car. It could be that God loves you enough that He wants you to have more toys. Or... It could be to support the mission of God. Maybe God has blessed your business enough, your career enough, that you could be a full-time supporter of a missionary. I would just encourage my fellow Americans to beware the sweet poison that says that we have what we have because we've worked very hard to get it. We've earned it, and therefore it is ours to keep. I would just say to you, dear Christian, that's nonsense. You work hard because you belong to Christ. That's the reason you look hard. You work hard. And God blesses you with your earnings so that you can support your family and advance the gospel among the nations. If you're not sure about that, then I would encourage you this week with an additional charge to read through the Gospels. Find every place in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus speaks about money. It may be shocking to some of us. Whatever the Lord does for us this week in Missions Week as we set aside time to pray about this, here is my prayer for us all. That God would loosen our grip on the things of this world. And that we would all grab a hold of the eternal things of God. That we would let go of the things that will not last. In order that we might spend ourselves, our time, our money on His purposes. Do you remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus told that man? He said, if you want to follow me, here's what you've got to do, friend. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor, and then come follow me. So he's saying, what you've got a hold of right now, let go and grab hold of me. That's my prayer for all of us this week. Is that what we're holding on to unnecessarily, material things in this world, that God would loosen our grip as we grab hold of him. Please stand for the prayer of confession. At the end of our services, we take a moment and we pray for, we, we come to the Lord and we ask for forgiveness for areas in this passage that we have not walked out rightly, and we ask Him to forgive us of that. And by the sound of it, we may want to pray for whoever is being tortured in the back. <laughs> so if you would take a moment and just uh, pray with me, a prayer of confession. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your Son, Jesus, through 
The sacrifice of the cross has redeemed a people for you. Many of us in this room are among those people. We who were once afar off have been brought near through the merciful drawing of your spirit, through the selfless ministry of your servants, through the effectual atonement of your Son. And we recognize, Lord, that we are altogether undeserving of this kindness that you have shown to us. And so we commit our lives to you. We further recognize that we are not our own. Our lives are not our own. We are not the directors of our day. We are not the directors of our finances. Our time is not our own. Our money is not our own. Our homes are not our own. Our cars are not our own. Our freedoms are not our own. We belong to you. You bought us with the blood of your own son. And you have every right to spend our lives in any way you choose. And so, merciful God, we come to you through Jesus to ask you for forgiveness. Forgive us, your people, for having believed and acted as if our lives were our own. For acting as if we did direct our own future. As if we had the right to decide what to do with our lives. Father, forgive us for having wasted so much on ourselves. We pray that you would show us your grace and enable us to see more of the ways in which we're not living for your purposes, for your mission. Would you expose our sins and grant to us repentance? Would you enable us to be broken over our sin and turn to Jesus in forgiveness? We pray this week that as we set aside time every day to pray, that you would cause our hearts to burn within us for the nations. Will you send your Spirit to unite our hearts with yours? Will you help us pray this week? Help us to pray for our missionaries. Help us to pray for the unreached. And help us to pray for our service of your mission. Lord, we who are parents in this room would be honored if you sent our children to the nations. We would be honored that you would call us to go. Will you stir in us a longing to support the planting of churches among those who've never heard. Send us where Christ has not been named. Lastly, Lord, will you disaffect us from the things of this world and give us a longing for the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And Lord, enable us to spend our lives for your sake for your glory so that your son gets all the praise that is due to his name. For Jesus' sake, we ask these things.